Hello everybody, Mark Carlson here, SNEA Technical Council Co-Chair. Welcome to the SDC Podcast. Every week, the SDC Podcast presents important technical topics to the storage developer community. Each episode is hand-selected by the SNEA Technical Council from the presentations at our annual Storage Developer Conference. The link to the slides is available in the show notes at snea.org slash podcasts. You are listening to SDC Podcast, episode number 183. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the, um, the DNA data storage track. My name is uh, Dave Landsman, Western Digital, and uh, I'll, be, I'll be kicking it off. And then we're going to talk about, so I'm going to talk about building a DNA data storage ecosystem, as well as giving a little bit of a over, a, a little bit of an overview of DNA data storage. I'm not a molecular biologist or a chemist, so um, bear with me, but uh, I'm trying to do a short summary. And then, um, so, oh. so let's, let's just dive in. Um, so the the problem we're here to talk about in the track is, is fairly straightforward. There's too much data that people are digitizing to save it cost effectively. And it's, and, um, it, it's just, we need new mechanisms for archival storage at high volumes, potentially zettabyte, zettabyte scale. Um, and simultaneously the value of saved data is growing. So, um, and this, uh, I, I like this chart that uh, uh, Fred Moore at uh, Horizons did because it, it shows, it, I mean, it's somewhat qualitative, but he talks about a curve of value for data. Um, can you see the, yeah, you can see the pointer. So um, data typically when it's saved, it's, it starts out useful, that's why you're saving it, and then it tends to taper off when, you know, in his end, but it, it rises again as time goes by and people want to either retrieve it or mine it or something like that. So this, this, this is kind of driving some of the, the trends. So the basic problem is too much data and the value of it is growing. People want to mine it and extract value from it. So, <clears throat> so why are we talking about DNA? So um, primarily DNA bits are really small, right? If we look at, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 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 a, a, a simple base, uh, one of the, the uh, a, a base molecule in a DNA, uh, uh, a base in a DNA molecule is about one nanometer cubed, uh, roughly. And if you um, if you were to digit, if you put bits in DNA, and this is a picture of a, uh, an LTO tape, and if we were with, with some rough estimates of uh, density and, and assumptions about bit density, things like that. If we filled the space of this LTO tape with DNA bits, um, you could fit about two exabytes of data in this small container, which is over 100,000 times, 100,000 tapes. So this, I mean, everybody has their own metaphor for, or analogy for scale, but this gives you scale. The other, um, <clears throat> The other thing about DNA bits, um, they last a really long time. Um, you can think, you know, uh, you can think woolly mammoth, right? We've recovered uh, DNA, at least pieces of DNA. It's, it's, it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but we've, we've recovered DNA from fossilized bones. Um, they last a long time, and they don't, the bits don't need much care and feeding. 
and again, think of the fossilized uh, example, um, there, the DNA is very durable. And even if you want to store digital data in DNA, um, and you want to do it in a controlled environment and put it in a container, um, the amount of power and, and uh, environmental requirements for storing it, let alone the small size, make it a lot less, um, a lot less uh, resource intensive and, and less costly than existing storage. <clears throat> and then finally, um, DNA bits don't need migration. You know, you don't need to keep migrating the tape library every five years or 10 years. And so this, these factors add up to DNA having a very good uh, potential TCO story. Um, and lastly, the, if you think about the, the, the DNA ecosystem already exists, right, for medical and scientific, and it's, it's exploded in the last couple, you know, few decades. And that's why we're even able to be here talking about DNA st data storage because of all the techniques that have evolved there. Um, but um, so the DNA data storage ecosystem will benefit uh, from that investment and that energy in the market, and it will also add its own. So we just see an, a virtuous cycle uh, evolving with respect to DNA storage and, and the market. <clears throat> so um, with all this goodness, potential goodness for DNA as a storage medium, uh, the question is, do we really need, you know, there are still questions. So do we really need something as dense as DNA? It's, it's really dense, but maybe we don't need it that much, that many bits. So um, also, can we scale the underlying technologies? I'll talk a little bit about this as we go. Um, but, you know, synthesis and sequencing are, you know, we're working on getting them to be, to scale in performance and cost. And then how do we create an interoperable DNA ecosystem? Because if we create a DNA storage <clears throat> um, products or an ecosystem, it needs to fit in. It's going to be a complement to existing storage. It's not going to replace hard drives or tapes. It's going to augment them. So we need an interoperable ecosystem. So um, on this first question, uh, Aaron Ogus will talk tomorrow. Uh, Aaron Ogus of Microsoft is going to talk on you know what a data center this uh, what Microsoft feels is the the compelling need for molecular data storage um, today in the track um, I'm going to I'm going to continue here with a, uh, an overview of DNA storage and then a little bit about what the DNA Storage Alliance is doing to build the alliance. Um, Joel Christner uh, uh, is going to talk uh, of Dell is going to talk about uh, an initiative we call Rosetta Stone, which is kind of like. How do we bootstrap a DNA archive and discover what's in it so that we can decode the rest of it? So it's kind of a master boot record kind of talk. Um, Alessia Morelli and Reno Micheloni of DNA Algo are going to talk about a full system simulator for the DNA storage pipeline. So um, um, we need tools to model the channel. Um, and let's see, um, Zhao Reis and Marila Menosi of um, they're from a research institute in Brazil, the Instituto de Pequisas Tecnológicas, uh, and they're associated with Lenovo, and they're going to talk about end-to-end -end DNA storage, an uh, end-to-end DNA storage system that they built and studied. Uh, and then uh, uh, João Gervasio and Adriano Galindo Leal are going to talk about uh, DNA coding and kind of the last 10 years of, of, of encoding for for DNA data storage. And lastly, Luca 
Piantanita is, uh, from Boise State is going to talk about nucleic acid memory. So um, hopefully you'll enjoy the, the track, and hopefully you'll... <clears throat> oh, and then we'll have, a, we'll have an informal Q&A uh, at the end. So, um, and I, I, like, I like this room for that. We'll just, we'll chat. Okay, so, yep. Yeah, they have, right, they have uploaded the, the slides. So if you want to get a copy, yeah. Um, hopefully the screen is big enough, but <laughs> it's a little, little, yeah. Um, so, okay, so just, you know, I think everybody is familiar, even if it was from, you know, uh, 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 high school bio, uh, you know, biology courses, but, right? So the DNA molecule is... Uh, uh, a chain of, of bases, you know, adenine, thymine, um, cytosine, and guanine. And they, the, the bases have a natural affinity for each other. So A and T bind to each other, and C and G bind to each other. <clears throat> and they're connected in the molecule by a, a, a sugar phosphate backbone. So this is our building block. And in concept, DNA data storage is very simple, right? It's the devil is in the details making it work. But we take bits, digital bits and files, we encode them uh, into this language of ATCG, because, I mean, DNA in our bodies is, is a storage and encoding mechanism, right? And so we encode the ones and zeros to, to the bases. Uh, then, we, then we build a molecule from, that, from those bases and store it. And uh, on the way out, we do the reverse. We sequence it or read it. And, uh, and then we get our uh, bases back, and then we decode them back into the digital. So, um, uh, and we, uh, like in electronic channels, we, we add ECC and metadata for, for various purposes into the, into the, the chain of bases. Um, and let's see, whoop. Uh, and one more thing, I'm gonna use a term as I talk called oligos. Oligos, that, that's the, it, it's oligonucleotide, and it's basically a short strand of synthetic DNA or RNA. So you'll hear this term a lot, probably from, from me and other speakers. So uh, that's, that's what that is. Um, okay, so I, I kind of talked about the DNA as a channel, right? And when I was getting into this, it helped me to kind of <clears throat> think about some of the analogies. Of, of DNA storage in respect to an electrical channel. So we are, we are building a protocol through the pipeline, right? Um, we will, some of the bits that we'll build and some of the DNA bits will be uh, protocol bits, there'll be payload bits, there may be protocol at the end. We could, you know, if we have a particular string of DNA, it can have fields and protocol, just, just like uh, we're very used to with storage protocols. Um, in electrical channel, of course, ones and zeros are, are, are converted to analog waveforms. Um, and in, in DNA, the waveforms are replaced with the bases. So we, we convert bits to bases. And we have to worry about various aspects. Just like with ones and zeros, uh, we have to add ECC into the, or with electric, with waveforms, we have to add uh, ECC uh, into the protocol. So in electrical channel, we add ECC bits. Sorry, I'm, I'm 
stumbled a bit. Uh, we add ECC bits to the digital bitstream, and in DNA, we do the same. We add, uh, before we synthesize, we add ECC and uh, bits and other metadata uh, to help us. Uh, and in the case of DNA, we're worried about errors like insertions, deletions, substitutions. Not an, um, and then in an electrical channel, uh, in some cases, like with memory buses, we'll add scrambling pattern or we'll add scrambling patterns at the transmitter because certain patterns of ones and zeros can create electrical interference on the wire. Uh, similarly, certain patterns of bases uh, in, an, in DNA processing can be problematic. So we may alter the symbol stream um, to uh, after we've added the ECC and metadata. So, um, so as with an electrical channel, um, this kind of line protocol that we've got for DNA storage is critical to overall channel efficiency and how everything works, and you'll hear more about that later today. And there's also logical protocol layers above the line protocol, file tagging, packetization. If we, we have a, a file, we break it up into many small pieces inside the molecules. Okay, so um, as far as uh, basic, so the, the synthesis and sequencing are kind of the two big uh, areas we're trying to, uh, well, there are two of the important areas, reading, uh, writing and reading. So the basic synthesis techniques today uh, at a high level are there are two, two uh, there, there's phosphoramidite chemistry is one main technique, and, and there is an, an uh, area of en uh, uh, techniques called enzymatic um, uh, uh, synthesis, which are evolving. Phosphoramidite is the main it's the mainstream, it's the most uh, uh, productized, but enzymatic is evolving, and one of the interesting things about enzymatic chemistry is that it, uh, it doesn't evolve as many caustic chemicals, things like that, and it may also enable um, uh, us to build, uh, uh, to, to build molecules more, uh, more effectively. So this, this area is base-by-base -base synthesis. So we build, we build a molecule, one base at a time uh, in kind of a cyclic process. We start with a, a single base with a blocker on it. We, we de-block it. Um, then we add, add a new base that has a blocker on it uh, and then oxidize to solidify things. And then we start again. So very, very simplistically, this is we build molecules base by base. And with either uh, of these phosphoramidite or enzymatic, the limit today is about 200 to 300 bases in an oligo. Um, where if you go beyond that, you start getting too many errors. Now, if people want to put together more uh, longer strands of, D of synthetic DNA, uh, they can use ligation techniques. So this is again, I, I talked about how <clears throat> the there's an affinity between the bases, right? So we can use <clears throat> if we have some short oligos, you know, like the, the yellow and blue here, we can we can construct uh, uh, what, what we call a DNA splint, and uh, you can actually use the affinity of the complement uh, the complement uh, complementary characteristics to glue longer strands together, and thereby get strands of synthetic DNA that are many hundreds of bases long, or maybe more. There's all <clears throat> there's a very deep uh, 
there, there are debates going on about, you know, are, are smaller oligos better in general or longer? Or, but, it, you know, one thing about having longer oligos is if you have more bits, your protocol overhead is lower, just like you're used to. You know? so, uh, but there's, there's many. Uh, the industry is evolving here on what, what's the best way to, to, to build DNA molecules. Um, <clears throat> so here I wanted to talk briefly about kind of where some of the progress is. So this is a study that was done uh, at the University of Washington and Microsoft. And, um, and the, they built a, an array to synthesize, uh, electrochemical array to synthesize DNA. And the basic results of the study were that they were able to do synthesis on this chip uh, with 650 nanometer electrodes and and they and they and 200 nanometer wells, so they, they actually are putting chemical you know chemicals and molecules and reagents in little nanostructure wells. Um, they were able to contain the acid diffusion at each site, um, but and so the, the chip they built was two uh, two micron pitch, and they were able to control the acid diffusion. At each of these wells, and that's very important because the the acid diffusion is when I when I showed that picture before, when you un, you un, you took that blocker off the molecule to so that you could add a new new base. If the acid diffuses too much over the array, you might affect other other molecules. So so they were able to show acid containment at this feature size, and they were able to build 100 base long DNA. Uh, 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 100 long, 100 base long oligos at these feature sizes. Now, some or, or, or people are asking, how quickly can you write DNA data? So this chip uh, in the study, it reached a synthesis density of 25 million synthesis sites per square centimeter. And this was about three orders of magnitude greater than previous work. So it was quite a step forward. Um, and and, and if you take an array with this density, you could achieve in the kilobytes per second, um, per second per centimeter squared, right rate. And that, you know, the authors felt this was like a practical minimum that we could get. So for certain archival applications where the write speed is not so critical, this might be commercially viable. It's just, it's a judgment call, but I mean, that's, so they, they, they could see an array of this size with, would serve a purpose. But um, at this density, if you wanted to say get to a megabyte per second squared, uh, you would need a, a 360 centimeter squared chip, which is you know, a little, little big. Um, you know, so, and that, and, and, or you would need many, many chips. So there is a long way to go to scale, but um, this was a good, a very good experiment and paper published about uh, real progress in synthesis. And furthermore, um, we're seeing continued progress. So, so the chip I just talked about in that study had 25 million synthesis sites per centimeter squared, and Twist Bioscience just announced a chip with 100 million synthesis sites, and uh, they can write about a, a gigabyte per run. You know, you load the, load it up with reagents, etc., do a run, one gigabyte, and um, the reason I mentioned the, the one gigabyte is the, 
the IARPA did a study or it created a program, the Molecular Information Storage Program, and um, they've set they've kind of set goals uh, that they want they think we need to achieve uh, to get commercially viable molecular storage and and if you look there the the goals by mid 2024 were to have um, uh, a, a 10 gigabyte chip and about a dollar per gigabyte. I can't talk about any prices here because they're really hard to come by from the, the vendors, but um, we're seeing, you know, we have a, we have a one gigabyte chip uh, in 2022 and, and we have some other, so the, the indicators are that the industry is starting to scale. That, that's the real message. And at least according to the, the predictions that IARPA made or goals that they set, uh, we seem to be moving along this curve reasonably well. Okay, so uh, oh, so much more scaling is needed, but the foundations are established. It's the main message. How am I doing on? I don't know if I'm going really slow. Uh, let's see, eight fifty. Um, okay, so we we talked a little about, about sequencing or synthesis. Now we're going to talk about storage the, in the middle. So I'm not going to go into any detail here, but. Um, there are many preservation methods being looked at for, for when we store DNA. Um, there are way, you know, there's chemical encapsulation, there's physical encapsulation. Uh, you can bind the molecules in a matrix of some kind, some material matrix, even on, you can use uh, adsorption on paper. So there, there's many techniques and the, the, there have been many studies about biological DNA and how it, how the molecules simply uh, exist and how slowly they degrade in nature, um, there is now an attempt to start looking at how we, how we store and with an eye towards data retention. So I'll, I'll come back to that point uh, a little bit later in the talk. Um, the, but one of the, the basic thing about DNA storage here is, is keep it away from water and air. I mean, if you do that, you're in pretty good shape. And then the, but there are many more aspects of, of, how you store it and for how long you need to store it and how hard it is to retrieve for a particular methods. So I'll talk about that briefly later. Um, okay, so sequencing, a uh, snapshot of sequencing. So there's kind of two main, um, two main area techniques for sequencing uh, in, today. One is sequencing by synthesis. And uh, it's called sequencing by synthesis because you start with uh, you start with a single stranded uh, single stranded DNA that's the template, and you put it in solution, and then you start you add bases into the you know into the into the mix, and as the bases as each base binds to the to the template, um, it the, the event. Uh, in, in the Illumina case, or in the Illumina case, the the, the events are detected uh, visibly by visible light. So each reaction event is detectable, and because the because of the complementarity, you can then tell you can read what was in this original strand. Um, now another, so it's kind of an indirect way of reading DNA. Nanopore is another is the other technique that's really getting a lot of attention and, and investment. And 
that's where we, we guide a DNA strand through a very small uh, channel. In a, in a, either can be a natural biological channel or it can be a semiconductor, you know, a, a synthetic one. And as the, as the DNA molecule trans, uh, uh, transits through the pore, it, it creates a, uh, just, you know, it, it creates ionic current discrepancies or tunneling current. And so these events can be detected and the bases are directly read. So there's a great deal of energy going into this. Um, there are, there's Oxford Nanopore has a product here. Illumina is the biggest, you know, there are many synthesis vendors doing SBS. So both of these are, um, yeah, in general today, SBS is kind of more accurate and slower, which is more appropriate maybe for medical and, uh, and the traditional uses of DNA technology and Nanopore is, on a per base basis is slightly less accurate, but faster per base. But the throughput of the systems is, you know, there's a battle going on uh, in terms of which which is better. And then we'll, we'll and the, yeah. Okay. So as far as scaling synthesis, um, today uh, the, we're at a throughput level of about, um, the, the high-end Illumina machines, for example, are kind of at, at tens of gigabytes per day data. So it's not, it's not very high. We probably need to get to hundreds of ter uh, terabytes per day to be kind of useful. And, um, and the on a cost standpoint, uh, Illumina presented this slide at FMS, and they, they referred to where, they, where their products are with respect to gigabases per day. So if we assume one bit per base, which is kind of conservative, there's, there's other, there's nuances here. We might be able to get higher bit density. But if we use one bit per base, um, uh, then that puts us at $48,000 per terabyte today, which is a little, little pricey. Um, and, but we see a direct line of sight to uh, getting to 8,000 uh, if we get to a dollar per dollar per base or a dollar per gigabit. And no conceptual hurdles to uh, $800 per terabyte. So, and these prices are still kind of oriented around the markets that they serve, which is medical and scientific. So there's, I mean, cost and price are flexible, as we know. So as DNA data storage evolves, will not only will the technology evolve, but the pricing models and things around it will evolve. So we'll, we'll um, uh, the other thing to mention is that the DNA storage can tolerate much higher error rates than medical and scientific applications, genomic applications. So, so, so the key will be what are the error correction technologies and how efficient can we make the pipeline for DNA storage versus these other markets. So in conclusion, um, we have probably three orders of magnitude to go on cost and price, uh, both cost price and throughput for sequencing. Um, but that said, there are many ways to manipulate all phases of the pipeline that we talked about from synthesis to sequencing, um, where we can, we can balance the error tolerance at each step and thus the performance of the whole pipeline. So, um, okay, so that, that's all I had on, uh, that's all I had on scale uh, sequencing. So one last thing. Um, 
think I'm going faster than I thought. Um, so just to give you a very uh, slight, um, a very small peek, there are people working on doing, you know, selective retrieval of data in, in, in DNA. It's not just like you read the whole, necessarily read the whole archive uh, at once, so that would be an, one application. But if you want to retrieve files, um, there's a lot of work going on to, to do random access or, you know, uh, in this case, so file filtering. So the, the basic idea here is that we have a database of pictures um, and we encode the we encode the pictures themselves uh, somehow uh, either in, D in D DNA or otherwise. But we encode an index. So for each for each picture, we encode an index that has um, some kind of feature like catness, right? So you know we have a few cats, and another one might be called automobile, right? So category of index, and it's also got an each feature. Um, uh, oligo has an ID. So it's got a feature and an ID. And then we could construct, again, by synthesizing, we can construct a query to the database. Um, so this, this green arrow here. And the, the bases in this oligo will be complementary to the feature vector in some of these uh, in some of the, uh, to, it'll be, the basis here will be complementary to these indices, or to some of these indices. And we also put this little, in this example, we, in this paper, we put a little tag on the end of this query, and I'll talk about why we, what, what that is in a minute. So then when you put the, the query oligo in the presence of the index oligos, they will bind by hybridization, that is the A's and, you know, the, the, the affinity of the bases, they will bind. And then uh, that's where this little, this biotin tag comes in. Uh, this is a, in this case, it's a magnetic, uh, a, it's, a, it's a magnetic nanoparticle and you can then pull, this little Pac-Man thing here, right? So you can, you can pull then the indices out of the database that correspond to cats. And, um, and, uh, and so it, that, you know, we get our query. So we, we don't get the automobile, you know, et cetera. So there are, this, this paper was, uh, uh, I'm showing one paper. Um, James Tuck of uh, North Carolina State gave a talk about some of this also at SDC last year. And the, the, the presentation is there and has references. There's many, many papers on random access. So it's not just, okay, so I wanted to paint a picture of the progress there. So in conclusion, in terms of DNA data storage, um, it's resting on a solid foundation. I mean, it, you know, when I first got into this a couple of years ago, it felt like science fiction to me, but I, I, it's, it, has, it has moved. It's, 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 it's science and it's technology, and now we have to scale it, so. Uh, okay, so um, so now I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, use cases or, and who, like, if we build DNA data storage, who wants to use it and why? So the the DNA Storage Alliance did a um, 
we queried, we've done, you know, we've researched and we've, we, we held a user conference uh, in 2020 and we've done interviews with people in different, different markets, um, you know, autom from automated uh, driver assistance to media entertainment to digital art uh, and preservation. And we've tried to get a sense of what people want. And um, the, the, I mean, there's, a, there's quite a diversity of needs. And, and honestly, when you ask somebody how they would use DNA, they're, they're, they're doing a thought experiment. They're, they're not quite sure. <laughs> but, um, but they do know that they want to save data for a really long time. Uh, well, before I go there, there there's kind of, uh, I'd say there's two categories. Like if you look at digital artists and preservation, d digital art, the, the, the amount of data is very small, but artists want to save it for a long, you know, forever. Um, and things like, you know, the Shoah Foundation, we talked to them. And, you know, historical societies, libraries, they want to save things even if the data is not gigantic. On the other hand, uh, you've got, you know, hyperscale vendors, which Aaron's going to talk about tomorrow, uh, and and governmental uh, uh, requirements and, you know, streaming and media entertainment. So there's a great deal of data. There, there's also, like, sensor data coming from all the smart cars and cities. and So you have a – it runs the gamut from people who just want to do small amount of data forever and others who want to have a large amount of data for, you know, for a long time, but maybe, maybe use it more uh, – uh, more, uh, it's not a pure archival um, use case. So in all of this, uh, data retention is kind of the key. Um, I mean, this is what's changing. We're, 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 we're digitizing all this data and, and to either discover new things in the data or to monetize the data. Uh, fields like healthcare, astronomy, climate science, sports. We had, when we did our user forum, we had, you know, uh, Major League Baseball came in and talked about, they, ha they have a gigantic database. <laughs> and, they're, and they have a gigantic tape library that they need to migrate. And, and while, you know, something like DNA is obviously not real time, they, they at the high end of their, or the low, at, at the archival end of their, um, system, they need a lot of scale. And there are others like that. So, so everybody's trying to save money or save, save data and not delete it because we don't know what we might discover in that data or we want to try and monetize something in that data. And if we can store more data at lower cost, um, generically, then uh, we don't have to throw it away, which is what is happening today in many cases. People throw data away because it's too it's too expensive to keep it. Um, and then this emphasis on data retention puts a lot of emphasis on, on total cost of ownership. So we, we just did, a, we did, um, we did an analysis of, of, of the costs of keeping data. And so this, this shows uh, we used for the cost of, uh, or the price of tape, we used the, T, the Fujifilm TCO calculator. Um, and that's, let's see, that's the, the tape is the red, the red bar. And we took cloud prices, list prices from Amazon, AWS, just public pricing. And we estimated some DNA data storage prices based on selected, you know, on some selected cost scenarios. So like, I, sh I should have really edited this, sorry. So we, um, 
like at a, you know, $100 per terabyte is the yellow. Uh, the $50 per terabyte is the green. And uh, the, the red, the orange on the end is if we get to $25 per terabyte. And the basic message is that that the arc, the, the, the fixity checks and, and um, migrations uh, for traditional storage begin to swamp the costs of ownership over time. So if you want to keep a lot of data for a long time, you need something, whether it's glass, whether it's DNA, something. So the market needs a solution. Um, and the other thing about DNA, um, it, it does definitely minimize energy consumption, uh, consumption and improves sustainability. And um, it also, and this, this model that we did here was really based on one copy of the database. And obviously an, another nice thing about having, if you have a very valuable archive and you want to keep a few copies of it geographically dispersed, uh, you can do that easily with, with DNA, uh, e easily and more cheaply. So like I said, you'll hear more about this general problem of too much data tomorrow. Um, so how do we build the ecosystem? Um, so the, we, there's an organization called the DNA Data Storage Alliance, um, and we, we came, th this was started by TWIST, Biosciences. It was formed in October of 2020. Um, and uh, Illumina, Microsoft, Twist, and Western Digital uh, agreed to be founding members, and we, we created a, a, a promoter group kind of structure, and we climbed to about 60 members in, uh, by the second quarter of this year. And we realized that if we wanted to, uh, you know, uh, to, bu to build standards and really build the industry, we needed to be either create incorporate or become part of something. So we decided to join SNEA. We joined SNEA as a technology affiliate group in June of 22. And our mission is to create and promote an interoperable storage system based on DNA. Um, and the scope is uh, to educate the market, um, and one. Two, to develop uh, a, a storage into a DNA storage roadmap Kind of like you know the there are, you know IARPA's worked on this, but we, we want to put together a DNA data storage industry roadmap that kind of points the way for research and development investment, uh, and then we want to develop standards and spec and specs as warranted. We we're very I think we're trying to be very humble about not prematurely standardizing things that aren't naturally suited to being standardized because uh, you don't want to stifle innovation. But we do believe there are some areas that that we can work on now. So, uh, so what we're working on now is the roadmap. Uh, we've started some work groups in SNEA uh, in, in, in the Alliance for uh, Standardization. Uh, we're working on a second. We had a we, we it published a white paper. I should have put a link to it in here, but it's on our on our website. Uh, we published an introduction to DNA data storage, uh, and then we're working on a white paper number two to. Uh, describe some of the, the market data and observations we got from what I was talking about a few minutes ago. We started a newsletter, we're doing, and we're doing events. So the industry technology roadmap, I think, I think I've told you what it is. It's, it's so, uh, I won't reiterate too much. Um, we hope to have this done, at least to draft it by the end of the year. It's looking a little aggressive the way things, the, the pace things are going, but we're going to try. Um, 
the work groups in the twig, we have three. Uh, and this first one on the left, you'll hear about from Joel in the next talk. And that's about, you know, it's about how do we design and DNA archive and how do you discover what's in that archive and decode and, and be able to decode it when there may be, you know, there will be different, there will be different DNA codecs. There people will have different ways of doing things. So we want to support innovation, but you need a standard way to find out how you bootstrap yourself into the archive. So Joel will talk a lot more about that. Um, there's another group called Interoperable Interfaces, and we're, we're, this is kind of, it's taking a little while to get going, but we're, this is, the purpose of this is to ensure physical compatibility of synthesis of storage. It, it's about the mechanics of doing DNA storage, like so that you can end up with plug-and-play swaps of instruments uh, or recovery of molecules for read. You can recover molecules irrespective of the supplier, whether the supplier is existent at the time. Or, and just general issues of fluidics and data centers. Because, I mean, it's not like we're going to have massive gallons of, you know, things. But um, it, there are things that we have to account for. So we're starting to look at just how we, the mechanical and, and interoperability aspects of the pipeline. And then the third work group we're starting is, or that we have started, is DNA uh, retention. So this, um, you know, the, we, just like with SSD drives and what the JEDEC work did with, with NAND endurance, uh, we, we're going to have multiple solutions for storing data and, um, and we need ways to compare them. Um, so, you know, and we need, we need multiple vendors, I mean, uh, and we need ways to compare them. And we also need ways to, um, to do accelerated wear testing or things so that we can, we can believe that the metrics and the claims being made by a particular solution, uh, that we understand what they mean and that we believe them. So it's, this has been done for different media and different, different aspects of technology, right, uh, around the industry. And uh, this picture here is, again, it's way too small now I'm realizing, but this was from a study uh, uh, that Microsoft and UW did uh, University of Washington did, and they, you know, they went through and exposed. They did. They they exposed uh, samples of DNA to different environmental and other conditions, and tried to, uh, and measured the data retention properties. So, this is a very complex area, um, and we're just starting to get going. We want to really try and define terms and get everybody speaking the same language so that we can proceed. So, these are the three work groups that, um, that we've got going now. There, there will obviously probably be more later on in the Alliance. Okay, so um, just um, one final disclaimer before closing. Um, DNA, D, oh, what did I do? <laughs> DNA, uh, DNA is really not like other media, right? So um, I, actually, I actually had somebody ask me, kind, only part joking, does this mean I'm going to be putting my, you know, music in my dog, right? And um, so we always try and say uh, that, you know, we're just using the building blocks of molecules to build storage. So we're storing digital data in DNA doesn't require, use, nor create any cells, organisms, or life. 
It's just we're just using it's instead of electrons, we're using molecules. So um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's all I've got. Um, enjoy the rest of the track. I hope you'll stay and uh, and then come back tomorrow at uh, eleven twenty, and Aaron will talk about. Uh, uh, Azure's observations about the data explosion. Uh, and um, that's it. I guess I'm, I am done. Any questions? Yes? Oh, uh, that was that was on the uh, that was on the uh, the storage storage. Ah, yeah, I think he might have listed storage in a. Yes, you're right. You caught. <laughs> Somebody can read that. That's very good. Very good. Um, the, yes, these. Yeah. So, I don't really think bacteria are going to probably be. You know, I think the DNA data, you know, storage things are going to be more like this capsule from uh, from imaging. But um, yeah, this was this table came out of studies that uh, some folks at imaging and other and you know, some universities did about biological DNA and how. It but you're right. It, we we could <laughs> do that, but. Yeah. So I, my personal opinion is that for the foreseeable future, there's going to be a, an amazing amount of competition and innovation and development here so that, that there will be people who may try and patent things, uh, methods, but uh, I don't see us developing a standard for encoding or, or random access methods for a long time. Now, whether, whether somebody, whether a company outside, you know, this environment, the SNEA environment or, or within it, you know, tries to build something and patent it. I mean, I, I don't know. But what we're hoping is that we can, we can, yeah, uh, we, we're just hoping we can, I, I, I don't see that because we don't really patent, I mean, if we take SSD data placement, right, just as one example, where we have been arguing for 10 years about whether it's streaming or, you know, zone storage or, you know, whatever it is, right? Or, you know. So nobody's, those are being developed in standards orgs, and nobody's arguing about patents. But that's not to say it couldn't happen, right? We're, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but. I wouldn't, I, 
I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. And the, the, de facto standards and maybe some actual agreed standards will emerge. I just, it's a very fluid environment right now, and I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, no yeah, no, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you'll hear you'll hear more about that. We have a talk on encoding, and uh, later on, uh, a really good you know deep talk on the last ten years of encoding. So you may get some more insights on that later. Did I take the what? The yes. I mean, if we. Or you don't even, I mean, like I showed in this, in this picture, I mean, if you, like, and two exabytes of DNA data storage could fit in this physical space of a single LTO tape today. So the, the scale is so dramatically small that whether you, I mean, if, if, we, if we put it in a steel capsule, like the Imogene capsule or others, it's, it, I mean, yes, there are storage requirements, but they're vastly smaller than anything we've got today. Uh, so, uh, and you, you were trying to imagine the scale? The sc so, so one of the interesting things about the data retention techniques is that we're thinking about is that if you put, if you put the if you put data in one of these a sealed capsule with and keep it uh, keep it inert, right? So the the best way to store DNA is in, in, in inert, surrounded by an inert gas, probably, or, or you know some inert compound so that, it, that there's no moisture, there's no air. But different storage methods are harder or easier to recover, re retrieve from. And you might need specialized equipment to pull things out of uh, the imaging capsule, whereas if you did it some other way, I don't, I don't even know, filter paper, you know, just as a wild example, right? You, you might not need as specialized, um, you might just need to rehydrate. But, but, but the, um, but the, um, so there will prop, depending on the use cases, and the, so for long-term archival, having, you know, going, Doing a uh, using a something like a sealed capsule will almost certainly make sense, and the scale will be really, really dramatically different than tape or anything else we've got today. And, but there may be some other use cases where people want to get, say leave the data for a year or two years, and they still want to get access to it, and they'll use one of these less less reliable storage methods 
in the in the sense of lower data retention, but but they can get it back easier. Uh, hmm? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the the trick will be is if we develop, when I was talking about like the random access, what is the granularity that we can access a database and DNA? And once those techniques evolve, we'll figure out what's the most efficient way to store it. And in some cases, you'll want to put the whole archive in a, in a, in a single thing or there, or there may be, I think, an ecosystem of storage methods will evolve. So anyway, I'm not, okay, any other uh, questions for now? Yeah. So one of the things I find running this off is that uh way for running across the 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 idea that users have this compliance requirement. They periodically want to ensure that their data is readable. And and it doesn't matter whether it's preservation or Well, if, 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 uh, I, I'm always kind of like a deer in the headlights up here. So your your question is about the the fact that if you have a destructive read, you've got to get people to change the way they think about what they're. Uh, or, or, or we have, or slow, right, right. So, yeah. So all of that is we we are thinking about it. It's not like, uh, but we're not. I guess at the moment, we're just kind of in a dialogue with customers and people who are envisioning using this and trying to explain what the characteristics will be and and see if they still want to adapt. Yeah. Right. And and I again want to emphasize I think that this kind of this layer of storage it will be a complement to other things, right? So it's not like we're trying to say you use DNA, you throw away your tapes. <laughs> um, but there, so but, but we'll we'll, have to, we'll balance out the economic the, the trade offs between you know, where this fits and and as the capability of DNA storage evolves, then people will figure out use the right use cases or the viable use cases for it. Okay, yeah, and you know we again yeah we have 
we have a talk today that doesn't directly address this, but it's just, I mean, they're all, yeah, you, you'll, if you, you'll see some stuff today about just some of the really interesting techniques and ways people are thinking about accessing and manipulating DNA media. So the encoding, the nucleic acid talk will be interesting in that respect. Anyway. Okay. That's about all I got. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the material presented in this podcast, be sure and join our developers mailing list by sending an email to developers-subscribe at SNEA.org. Here you can ask questions and discuss this topic further with your peers in the storage developer community. For additional information about the Storage Developer Conference, visit www.storagedeveloper.org.